Very warm welcome to one and all, once again, as we continue our series from Proverbs. And today the topic is on a loving marriage. You know, when I meditated on the various verses on this topic from Proverbs and different parts of the Bible, it draws me back to the day when I committed myself to be wedded to my beloved wife, uh, Wendy, in church. And I must tell you that I was such an immature young man. I know nothing about marriage. Even though I've gone through pre-marriage counselling, I know almost zero about marriage. I know zero about how to be a good husband. Even though I know all the verses and the theory, but to put it into practice, it is so different. It is so hard. It's the same for all of us who are Christians. We know the Bible verses. We know what Jesus says about obeying Him. We've gone through the series on Proverbs that challenges each and every one of us to be generous, to be loving towards one another. But so little of Scriptures do we actually apply every day in our lives. And it is the same in marriage. You have to be in marriage. You have to be married for you to know how to be a better husband, to be a godly husband, to be a godly wife. And what a journey it has been for me, and I'm sure for Wendy as well, as we learn through the years to be a godly husband, to be a godly wife, to learn to love one another and to shine for Christ, to be more and more like Jesus. In fact, uh, it was just this morning when I was taking a ride from uh, Sister Suli to come to church that she mentioned this thing about the fact that so few marriages are truly happy. We know of so many people who are married, but there are really so few marriages that are truly happy. In fact, many marriages are broken today. And uh, in fact, I uttered the same sentiments to my wife a month ago because I was lamenting about, you know, the people who are praying for, whom we are praying for around us, our family members, our friends, people in church. There's so few marriages that are truly happy. There are so many problems in our marriage relationships, in our homes. And that is why today it is important for all of us to learn the lessons, not just from Proverbs, but also from the passage in Ephesians 5, which you will refer to later on. Because marriage is such an important part of our Christian life, in our, of our homes. And love in marriage is so important, like honey to bees. It makes the marriage sweet. A loving Christian marriage is a good witness for Christ in this world where many marriages are on the rocks. You know, very often when we get into marriage, we're not thinking about being a witness for Christ. But really, that is what it is. You know, when we are married, when we are Christian marriage, when our relatives and friends who are non-Christians, when they come to church and see us wedded in church, in Christ, we are proclaiming to our non-Christian relatives that we are in Christ, that we are different from the rest of the world, that our marriage is different, that our Christian home is different from the other homes. And the difference is that we have Christ. And because we have Christ, 
our homes are graced by the presence of Christ. And the love of Christ must permeate and pervade our Christian homes. And sadly, but sadly, that's not the case in many Christian homes. And that is why there are problems in our Christian homes. And the only solution is really the love of Christ. The love of Christ is the only solution in our marriage. Well, last year, there was a record number of marriages in Singapore and fewer divorces in Singapore. Well, the government was very happy. But the sad fact, as I mentioned, is that many marriages actually end up broken. Even if they are not broken, many of the marriages are not happy. And that is a sad fact. Well, you may be single today, or you are hoping that you will get married someday, and you are planning to get married. This message is also for you. Despite what I said earlier on, right, about the fact that I know nothing, uh, even at the point of marriage, even after I've gone through pre-marriage counselling, I really know nothing about being a good husband, or being a godly husband, or being a Christ-like husband, or applying all the scripture verses about being a godly husband. And yet, we need to learn and prepare ourselves. God willing, today, we will learn to prepare ourselves to be a godly man, a godly woman after God's own heart, so that we might be better prepared for marriage. And for those who are already married, perhaps you have a happy marriage, right? but you know people around you, many of them are not happy. So you might be mightily used of God to be a counsellor to your colleagues, to your friends, to your siblings who are struggling in their marriage. So today's message is for all of us, right? So don't fall asleep, right? Those who are single uh, or are not married, right? And uh, there's a lesson for, for all of us. So even for those who are married, unfortunately, every year there will be some who are divorced. And even though a number of divorces uh, have dropped in Singapore, we are still talking about 7,107 marriages that have ended up broken last year. This is every year. Every year, at least 7,000. 7,000, you multiply by two, that's 14,000 couples, 14,000 husbands and wives who have decided to say, I've got enough of you. I don't want to see you anymore for the rest of my life. Even though I have vowed to be with you, for the rest of my life at the day of marriage. I don't love you anymore. And it's not just between two of them. As I said earlier, marriage is also about two families coming together. Right? And also the children in the families, children of the fathers and mothers who suffer in a divorce. They are brokenhearted and they are divided and they are torn. And it also affects their future marriages of the children. In fact, Studies have shown that children of divorced parents are more likely to be divorced because they follow the pattern of the parents. They never learned the lessons and the mistakes that the parents made, but they repeated it. But if you are in Christ, you can break that chain. You can break that pattern. You can be different. And it's not just the children, but also the parents struggle. The parents are praying for the children who are going through divorce. The parents are crying every day. 
The parents are sorrowful. They're sad that their children are suffering and hurting. And also the siblings. And in fact, it has repercussions on those siblings who are single. And they get worried. Oh, I thought my sister or brother had a good marriage. That they have found the dream husband or the dream wife. And yet, the marriages have turned out like that. Even though they are Christians, they've decided to divorce. What about me? I think I better not get married. <laughs> I'm sure some of the singles are thinking like that. Well, today's message is for you. There is hope in Christ. Your marriage can be different. So if you're struggling in your marriage today, don't despair. There is hope in Christ. And I've counseled couples who have gone through difficult periods because divorce is never the solution. Divorce does not solve the problem of the hurt, the problems that you face in marriage. The fallout from the divorce is even worse. So for Christians, the important thing is to come back to Christ. And it's a sad fact that a survey that was done in uh, 2016, according to the study, one in four married people in Singapore are thinking of divorce. So what hope is there for marriage? There is hope in Christ. So there will be two parts of my sermon today. One is why we're going to study the reasons why marriages fail. And secondly, the ingredients of a loving marriage. Why do marriages fail? Firstly, marriages fail because two persons coming together are unwilling to love with the love of Christ. Because we are two sinners. Two sinners with different backgrounds. We come together with different lifestyles, with different habits that we have, bad habits that we have cultivated over the years. And sometimes it's not helped by the fact that we have poor parents who do not teach us to be mature or do not teach us to prepare ourselves for marriage. And our single lifestyles makes us very selfish. And it is true that if you look at many single people, how many single people actually help with household chores? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, right? How many of your single people here actually help to wash the toilets at home? Oh, very good. Right? How many single people actually do your own laundry and do your own ironing? Right? Very good, right? How many single people actually learn to be sacrificial, to love your parents and your siblings and do things for your family members. Because those are, the, those are the skills that you will need to make a successful marriage. The truth is that most of us are selfish going into marriage. We are self-centered. We are thinking about, oh, from now onwards, my wife is going to serve me. <laughs> right? I'm going to get what I need. Because the Bible says I'm the head of the home. Right? I can order my wife around and my wife must listen to me. Or the wife is thinking, oh, I've never done housework in my life, you know. My husband is going to do all of those things. I'm, never, I'm going to touch the toilet, right? my, the toilet bowl. My husband is going to wash the toilet. So we are unwilling to do those things which are necessary. A survey in Singapore in 2016 showed that 32% of the respondents felt their partners prefer to spend time, prefer to spend time with their mobile phones than with them. Isn't that sad? We fall in love 
with each other, and very quickly we fall out of love with each other, and instead we fall in love with our phones. We'd rather spend time with our phones instead of with our spouse. The second reason is that we are unequally yoked. For example, a Christian disobeys God, thinking that there are no fun and um, cool guys in the church. And so they decide to marry a non-Christian colleague or friend. And then they realize that they are in deep trouble because the non-Christian husband or wife is not willing to come to church and creates all sorts of problems and in the end, they realize that there is nothing common between them. Or two non-Christians got married and one of them got converted during the marriage. And they realize that they have totally different values and they have totally different belief systems that drive their decisions on a daily basis. And they are constantly in conflict. And the conflict is because they have a different God. A non-Christian does not believe in Jesus. He's not going to follow the commandments of God in the Bible. But a Christian strives to obey God. The Christian strives to love God and come to church, come for Bible study. And therefore, there is always that conflict in schedules, conflict in your daily life with a non-Christian. Thirdly, we have unrealistic expectations. When we go into marriage, we are expecting that it will be happily ever after. Perhaps many of us have watched too many K-dramas. Even the actor's marriage was on the rocks. And we keep thinking that, oh, our marriage will be like in the movies and in the TV shows. Well, we go into marriage very often thinking that I'm not going to change my lifestyle after marriage. My spouse has to change to suit me, right? But the truth is that I remember a conversation I had with a deacon in my former church. And um, he said when he got into marriage, he was told in pre-marriage counseling that he has to adapt to his wife and his wife had to adapt to him. And he says it was a lot of adaptation. It was a lot of adjustment. It was much more adjustment than he expected, right? Because it requires him to change his habits. It requires him to compromise, to change in order to suit his wife, in order to just make sure that they can live together without too much quarrels. Well, we must sacrifice for one another. But if no one wants to change, then you will end up with two single persons living in the same house, in the same flat. Very soon, they want to live in their own separate rooms because they are, willing, they are not willing to change their life habits. I know of many couples, right, because the husband wants air condition, uh, the wife wants the fan, right? And they decide we cannot live together in the same room, right? We will sleep in separate rooms. Right? No, right? As a couple, we must try to live together. We must try to adjust to each other, compromise if necessary, Right? And we have to learn to change it. It is unex- unrealistic to expect a marriage where neither the husband or wife is willing to change that it will ever succeed. You have to compromise. Right? Marriage, when you go into marriage, is about two persons forming a new home 
about two persons forging a united front and believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, holding hands together and saying that we are going to chart our path together to obey God, to grow in Christ, to serve Christ together, to be a witness for Christ so that others will know that Jesus is the only Savior through us, through my life, through my marriage, through this home. That my home is going to be a loving home that shines the love of Christ. My home is going to be a welcoming home, a home that welcomes sinners, non-believers into my home so that others will also know the love of Christ through the love we have for each other and through the love we have for them. Right? So, if you are thinking about marriage as a place where I can have all my selfish desires met, then you're not ready for marriage. But if you're thinking about marriage as a place where I can, together with my spouse, grow in Christ, adjust to each other, love Christ more, love each other more, and serve God even through our marriage, then you are in the right place. And of course, why marriages fail also because of unresolved conflicts. Proverbs 14.1 tells us that the foolish wife plucks it down, plucks down the house with her hands, demolishes the house, tears down the house. A foolish wife tears down the husband. A foolish wife tears down the children every day. Have you seen women like that? I'm sure you have, right? In restaurants, in hawker centres, your neighbours quarrelling every day. You can even hear what they are shouting vulgarities and all kinds of harsh words at their husbands and at their children every day. That's the foolish woman. A foolish woman who, a foolish man also, it could be a foolish man. Not necessarily a foolish woman. We talked about alcoholism, right? Alcoholism that tears down the home. A drunkard father who comes home, you know, scolding everybody and beating everybody. The former pop star, I mean the late pop star, uh, Michael Jackson spoke about how his dad comes home drunk every now and then, used the belt and beat him up, and the whole family. There's no peace. Right? A foolish man, a foolish father, a foolish mother can demolish your own homes because of unresolved conflicts, because of their sins and their sinful lifestyle. Proverbs 21.19 tells us, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Right? So it's important that a home be not like that. So why do couples quarrel? In this 2016 Singapore survey, it shows over children. Many couples cannot agree which school to send the children to, right? whether to move nearer to the school or not, to buy another home, which school to enroll in, whether to send for enrichment classes, this and that. CCA, money problems, is by far one of the top reasons for quarrels, especially spouses who are not happy that, or rather, husband or wife is not happy that the other spouse is not contributing to the household budget. By far, I see that is one of the top reasons why many marriages break down. Even among Christian couples, I've seen cases where the husband is not contributing because he's running his own business. 
uh, he has no money to contribute to the household budget. That can happen for a short while, but if it happens in the long term, then the wife who has to work to support the family feels resentful that she is doing everything for the home. She's bringing home money for the whole uh, family budget. At the same time, she has to take care of the children. She has to do household chores. The husband does nothing for the home. Resentment builds up over a period of time. The husband, when the husband has money, he only spends on his own toys, right? Or his own cars, his own hobbies, or on drinking. Housework is one of those uh, things that uh, couples quarrel about. Usually the wife complains that the husband is not doing his fair share of the household chores. And of course, time spent on the phone and the spouse is neglected. The fifth reason why marriages fail is also uh, this possibility of unfaithfulness. Because of the lack of sexual intimacy, because of quarrels over a period of time, the relationship is broken down. The couples do not spend time with each other. Instead, they spend time outside of the home. And so the husband or the wife becomes tempted to be adulterous, to engage in extramarital affairs, uh, to be addicted to pornography, and eventually couples, one of the couple desert the family, decided to leave the home for someone else or just to be separated from the home. So these are the top five reasons why marriages fail. This is not meant to be exhaustive, but it gives you an idea of what are the problems that can happen in marriage the unwillingness to love with the love of Christ, to be unequally yoked, to have unrealistic expectations going to marriage, to have unresolved conflicts and unfaithfulness. Well, having seen the negatives, now we're going to look at the positive. What are the things that we can do? What is the solution that the Bible gives to us to solve the marriage problems? There is hope in Christ. So do not despair if you go through difficulties in your marriage. I have three main points here. A loving marriage is God's design. When we understand God's design for marriage, we will better, we will better prepare ourselves for marriage and we will fulfill the role that we are supposed to do, whether as a husband or a wife. And we will do what God commands us, that we will obey His word. So firstly, God's design for marriage. We need to understand that God is the one who brought Adam and Eve together in the Garden of Eden. God is the one who commands them to be fruitful and multiply and to replenish the earth, to have dominion over the world. And then they are to set up this family, the first family in the whole world, that through them, the world might be populated that they are supposed to come together for the procreation of children. And that is why Christians are so much against the LGBTQ movement, because it does not reflect the design of marriage that God intended it to be. God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman for the procreation of children. Between a man and a man, you cannot have children a woman or woman either, neither. So God intended for one man and one woman to be part of that marriage institution so that we might have children whom we will raise up 
train them to love God, to know God, to serve God all the days of their lives. The second reason why God designed marriage is for companionship. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said to Adam, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him and help me, a helper who is suited for him. And God performed the first surgery and he took, he made Adams fall asleep in a deep sleep and he took the rib from Adam and he made a woman out of, out of that rib and brought Eve to Adam. And this was the response uh, and this is the response, or this is the third reason uh, why uh, uh, God designed marriage, for sexual purity, right? So God intended that a husband and wife may have sexual intimacy so that they could reproduce, they could have children whom they will raise in the, uh, to be brought up in the way of the Lord. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So God intended marriage for these three main reasons. Now, of course, there are other commentators who say that God also intended marriage for our maturity, for us to grow in the likeness of Christ. And I agree with that too, right? Because uh, my Christian life as a single person and my Christian life as a married person is totally different, as I alluded to earlier on, that in marriage, I learned many precious lessons that I will never learn as a single person because I learned to grow in Christ. I learned to be a mature, a more mature person and I learned to compromise and to sacrifice myself for my spouse. And so we've learned God's design for marriage and secondly, we're going to learn the husband's role. What is the husband's role in marriage? To love his wife to be contented with his wife and to be faithful to his wife, just as Christ loved the church and cherishes the church. So the husband is to love his wife, Proverbs fifteen seventeen. We memorized earlier on, better is the dinner of herbs, vegetables, salads, where love is, than a stall ox and hatred therewith. Better is a dinner of salads, simple vegetables, right? Even if you're very poor, but it's a loving home, a loving meal, loving conversation with your spouse, right? with children gathered around, a warm, loving home. Then to have hatred while you are enjoying your fat, juicy, wagyu beef steak. Right? Yes, you can have the best Michelin star restaurant, but when you are angry with your spouse, you cannot enjoy the meal. So better for there to be love, even with just the simple things, a home-cooked meal that is cooked with love from your spouse is much better, or cooked together with your spouse is much better than to go and enjoy a Michelin star restaurant outside. What is more important is the ingredient of love in the home. You know, this is where many couples go wrong. We spend so much time you know, in our journey to be married, preparing for the wedding day. We spend so much time and so much money on the bridal gown, on the, the, all the nitty-gritties of catering, on the holiday honeymoon, you know, on the wedding itself. 
but we don't spend enough time actually getting ourselves ready for marriage, being a godly young man that God wants us to be, learning how to love our wife as Christ should love as Christ has loved the church. And that is the passage in Ephesians 5 that teaches us that husbands must love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Because two are one. You are both, now two persons are one. You're one. You're one unit. You're one family. You're one home. And therefore, you must think about the needs of each other. As you nourish your wife, as you cherish your wife, you are cherishing yourself. You are cherishing your body. This is the idea here. And as Christ loved the church, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself for the church. He sacrificed himself for the church. Now, a lot of young men would think that, oh, uh, yeah, I'm ready to sacrifice for my wife. You know, if a car is going to come my wife's way, I'm going to block my wife so that I will get hit by the car, right? I will sacrifice myself for my wife. I'm willing to do that. But before that happens, can you just take out the rubbish and help to wash the dishes after your wife has cooked you a lovely meal? Right? Can you help sometimes to wash the toilet right? and vacuum the floor? Right? Help her fold the clothes. Help her to do things. Love her. Sacrifice yourself for her. Never neglect your wife just as you never neglect your body. Be contented in your wife. Proverbs 5, 15 to 19. This very poetic language, this imagery, drink waters out of your own cistern, out of your own well. Let the fountains be dispersed. Don't let your fountains be dispersed abroad. That's the idea here. Would you let your fountains be dispersed abroad? Water is such a precious commodity in Israel where it's so scarce. Water is so scarce. Would you let your waters be thrown in the streets? No. You preserve the rivers of water in your own well. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Don't waste your time with strange people, strange women. But let thy fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. God has given you a good gift, your wife. Therefore, rejoice in her. Be contented with her. Let yourself be satisfied with her always, at all times. Be thou ravished always with her love. Let her be as a loving hind in the pleasant room. Be like a graceful and beautiful deer that is darting about. Right? Always think of her as a beautiful bride. Oh yes, she may have grown older, right? She may not be as beautiful as on the day of the wedding, but she is always beautiful in your sight. Right? When I look at Wendy today, I still think of her as beautiful. Certainly she's the most beautiful woman in the whole world. Why would I want anyone else? She is beautiful because she is in Christ and she is God's gift for me. Right? And I'm satisfied in her. I'm contented in her. That's what all of us must always remind ourselves. That God has given me the gift of a wife. It's a good thing. It's a good gift that he has given to me. And I must cherish her. I must nourish her as a precious daughter of God. Because one day when I see Christ face to face, I'm going to have to answer to her, to Christ. What have you done with my precious daughter? 
What have you done to her? Have you loved her? Have you cherished her? Have you nourished her? Have you encouraged her? Have you been good to her? Have you been kind to her? Have you said words of kindness to her? Have you sacrificed yourself for her? Christ is going to call me to account whether I have been good to his daughter, his precious daughter. And that is our wife. We are accountable to Christ. Right? So we are to also to have physical intimacy with our spouse. And that is a gift that God has given to Adam and Eve and to all who are in marriage. To be thankful for our spouse, to have physical intimacy with them. And also to be faithful to our wife. Right? Why would you, my son, be ravished with a strange woman? Why would you go to another woman? You think that stolen waters are better? No, it's all a lie of Satan. Look at all the news reports of recent extramarital affairs, all in the newspapers. Is it better? Is it better for you to go out in secret and have a rendezvous with a secret lover? No. We've seen the consequences of all that. Especially if you get involved with an adulterous woman who is married to another man. You think the jealous husband will forgive you? The jealous husband will hunt you down that you have no peace for the rest of your life. The jealous husband will make sure that your life will be miserable for the rest of your life. So don't be silly, right? Don't be foolish. Will you, why will you commit adultery? It would be foolish for you to fall for a strange woman who is not your wife. Do not defraud your spouse as well. And you know, God's word is very, very fair. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 to 5. The teaching of Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul was single, and yet, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he taught these words to married couples. 1 Corinthians 7, 4 to 5. The wife has not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also, the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. In other words, if you are married, have regular physical intimacy with your spouse. Do not defraud your spouse of the right that he or she has. Because that is the purpose of marriage as well. One of the reasons for sexual purity, so that you can come together, that you will not be tempted by someone else. That's the idea here. And your body does not belong to you. Your body belongs to your spouse because you are one flesh. That's the teaching here, right? You have not heard of this. You, have heard, you are hearing this for the first time. This very new teaching to you is a very important teaching. Your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your spouse. Right? And therefore, you should not deprive your spouse of physical intimacy. And the husband must continue also to praise and affirm the wife that you're doing a good job. I love your cooking. You have done this good thing for me. Thank you very much. Right? Constantly praise and affirm your spouse so that your spouse knows that she's doing a good thing. She's, doing the, she's on the right path and she is growing in godliness. 
Proverbs 31, 28, the children call her blessed. Her husband also praiseth her. And the heart of the husband does safely trust in her because she will do him good all the days of her life. She can trust in her. And this is the kind of loving relationship, trusting relationship every Christian couple should have. And we must always strive to have that kind of relationship with our spouse that each can trust each other. There must not be anything that will drive a wedge between the relationship or that will cause us to cast doubts or be suspicious of our husband or wife. So whenever the husband is going somewhere, always tell the wife, and I'm going to meet this person, right, who is my colleague, you know, and I'm going to be with this person and that person. So that your spouse don't have to be wondering, you know, or maybe hear from someone else, that, oh, you were alone with another woman. Why? Right? And then raise questions. Always tell your spouse truthfully where you're going to be and make sure that she can trust in you and you can trust in her as well. So we've seen the husband's role. It is to love the wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In other words, there is nothing that the husband cannot give to the wife. Right? If he loves her so much. Secondly, or thirdly, the wife's role. The wife must also fulfill the role of a godly wife. So for a, a marriage to be happy and loving, both the husband and wife must do their part. Each of them must obey God. Each of them must do what God commands them to do. She must respect the husband. She must build a loving, peaceful home. And she must continue to fear the Lord. She must respect her husband. Ephesians 5.33 the husband must love the wife, and the wife must see that she reverence, she respects her husband. Why? Because God has appointed the husband to be the head of the home. There can only be one leader in the home. You cannot have two leaders. You can have two persons who try to usurp the leadership, or the wife try to usurp the leadership of the husband. And she has to respect the husband. Yes, the husband may not always make the right decision. And that is why husband and wife must always discuss. Right? We must always discuss on especially the major decisions uh, that involves a lot of money, right? We must always try to discuss, have lengthy discussions, consult other people, consult our friends, consult our pastors, consult church members, consult those who are knowledgeable in that area so that we will make a good decision together, right? But the wife, even if the husband makes a mistake or even if the husband is a non-Christian, especially in the case where the wife becomes a Christian, uh, later on into marriage. Even in that case, the wife is to respect the leadership of the husband. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any husband obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or conduct of the wives. So don't use your mouth to change your husband, to convert your husband. If your husband is a non-believer, use your conduct, use your life. Your, let your life be your, a life of love, of service to your husband. Lovingly serve your husband. Right? Please him. Cook the food that he likes. By your winsome lifestyle, win your husband to Christ. That's the teaching here. Right? Don't use your mouth. Don't, don't quote him verses. He's a non-Christian. You quote him verses. He's not going to help. You know, or, or, or some Christian wife, play, 
Christian sermons the whole day in the house. <laughs> You're going to drive the husband away from your house, right? Because he's a non-Christian. Right? Until he comes to Christ, he is not going to understand the Christian verses. Now, of course, by all means, encourage him to come to church, but don't force him, right? Don't keep pressurizing him. It's more important that he sees a change in your life. Before you were a Christian, you were like this, but after you've come to Christ, you have totally changed. And you have been changed because of Christ, because of what Jesus has done in your life, and your husband can tell. And I've seen examples of that, of people, of husbands who have seen the change in the life of the wife. And he sees that the wife has truly really been born again. And then the husband was curious. Why is it my wife has totally changed? And then when uh, somebody invites the husband to go to church, he will go and listen. And God works in the heart of the husband. And the husband was born again. Came to the Lord. Right? There are examples of people who have been changed by the conduct of their wives. And so the wife must also build a loving, peaceful home. Proverbs 14.1 Every wise woman builds her house. Builds. In other words, lift up everybody. Right? Encourage everyone. In the house, whether your children, a husband, family members. Remember, it's not just husband and wife and children, but also in-laws, right? Siblings. Be a blessing to everybody that you've come into contact with. Build up the home. Make the, make, make the home warm, happy, inviting, so that the husband will be happy to come back to the home every day. Make the home such a pleasant place that everybody wants to come home. Everybody wants to be together because this is a loving home that builds up everyone. Everyone finds it a conducive atmosphere to rest. They can get a good rest every day, every night after a long day of work, long day of studies. They come home, there's peace in the home, there's love in the home, there's support in the home, there's affirmation in the home, there's encouragement in the home. So that anyone who is down or discouraged, there is a kind word, there's a gentle word of wisdom from the Word of God. That everyone is lifted up. Everyone is encouraged to come back to Christ. And everyone can grow in the likeness of Christ. That's the role. That's a good role of a wife. That we can, we can be happy. We can have a happy home. It's up to you, wives, to make the home happy. Now, some of you are going to say, but you don't know the kind of husband I have. <laughs> yes, God knows. And God makes no mistakes. Right? God makes no mistakes. If you're married, stay married. No matter what kind of husband you have. Because God intended you to have this husband. I know that sounds horrible, right? <laughs> That's very hard to accept. Especially when we are stuck. We feel stuck in a horrible marriage with a horrible husband. We think horrible. But we don't think of the fact that we are horrible as well. Right? That while we were horrible... Christ loved us. He died on the cross for me. And because Christ had forgiven me all my sins, I can now forgive the fewer sins that my husband has committed against me. Yes, I can change my husband only if I change my attitude towards sin. If I love him with the love of Christ. If I continue to love him and respect him and do good to him, 
even though it is very, very difficult. And she will do him good all the days of her life, not evil. She will make her husband happy and she chooses to be happy with her husband and she will cook his favourite food. Do things to please her husband and maintain peace at home. Better is a dry morsel and quietness and peace therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Proverbs 17, 1. You know, even if you do not know how to be a godly wife, learn from the Word of God. Some of us may not have good role models. And some of us may be blaming our parents. And my mother was not like that. My mother was not a Christian. So, you know, my father was not a Christian. So I don't know how to be a good husband or a godly wife. Well, you have Christ. You have the Word of God. You have the wisdom from God's Word. You understand the Word of God. Just apply it. Apply it in your home. Apply it in your relationship. And then you will have a happy marriage. You will have peace, quietness, a loving home because you are willing to forgive your husband of his sins against you. You are willing to forgive your children of their sins against you. You are willing to forgive because Christ has forgiven you all, me, all of my sins. Therefore, I can love my spouse. I can love my children. I can love my in-laws. I can love my parents even though they have sinned against me, because Christ has forgiven me of all my sins, covered by the blood of Jesus. And I can learn to be more Christ-like. I can learn to love as Jesus has loved me. Don't start a quarrel, right? Proverbs 17, 14. The next time you think about starting a quarrel, you think about wanting to scold your husband. The beginning of strife is as one letter out water. Once you let out water on the floor, you cannot take it back. Once you say something that is hurtful, even though you feel bad, you cannot take it back. The hurt is already caused and your husband will remember it for the rest of his life. Right? So, leave off contention. Don't start. Don't start the quarrel. Don't say hurtful, harsh words. Don't let all those words, only let edifying words Leave your mouth. Words that will build up someone else in church. Verbal abuse, in fact, is murder. 1 John 3.15, Whosoever hated his brother, his, her husband, is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So if you are always scolding your husband, beware. Because you may not be born again. Because the Bible says no murderer has eternal life. So if you are constantly cursing your husband beware, you may not be truly born again. Because the Word of God must have some effect in your life. There must be a change in the way you look at your husband. There must be a change. The love of Christ must change you. That you must learn to forgive your husband just as God has forgiven you. Dr. Paul Tripp says, Love is being humbly approachable in misunderstanding, being more committed to unity and love than to winning argument or being right. Most of the time, most of the time, we want to prove that we are right. We want to win arguments, right? I'm right, you're wrong. Well, if the result of winning argument is that both husband and wife hurt each other by our words, is it worth it? Is it worth it to win an argument 
and lose a relationship and lose peace in the house, it's not worth it, right? It's more important to just swallow your words, right? Even if you know that you are right, to make sure that you keep peace in the home. And a wife also fears the Lord. Proverbs 31, 30, Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Right? Is it easy to do all these things for the husband? To do all these things for the wife? To maintain peace in the home? Or if you're a child in the home, you're not yet married, is it easy to maintain peace in the home, to love your parents, to love your siblings, just as Christ loved the church? Is it, to do, is it easy to do all of that? It is impossible to do this. With men, it is impossible. But with God, with Christ, all things are possible. Right? It is possible for you to obey God. It is possible for us to be happy in our Christian homes. It is possible for us to forgive our spouse or our children. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. We can learn to love one another. We can learn to forgive one another. So what are the lessons that we can learn just to wrap everything up? Firstly, marriage is made in heaven but maintained on earth. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do to maintain a godly and happy marriage. If you're married, am I improving daily myself? Am I growing in Christ? Am I applying the word of God more and more? to love my spouse. Because a great marriage requires hard work. This is what a counsellor says. But it has guaranteed returns. God promised rich returns when you obey the word of God. One simple thing that couples can practice is to make intentional effort to reconnect with each other. In other words, communicate. Right? Share your life with each other. Don't take, take away your time from your phone. Put your phone down. Right? Just spend time after dinner, talk to one another. Right? Catch up with one another. Tell each other about your life for the day, right? Your struggles, your prayer requests, and then pray for one another. Right? Show love by your prayers. Intentionally reconnect with each other, even if it's only for 10 minutes. There are some couples who do Friday dates. It's very good, right? Friday night, go out for a date. Don't cook. Just go out, enjoy a simple meal. It doesn't have to be in a fancy restaurant. You can eat out at the hawker centre. It doesn't matter. What's important is that you spend time with each other, right? You spend time with each other, reconnect with each other, this, uh, communicate with each other, right? What is more important is to be the right person. You know, a lot of young people think, how can I find the perfect wife or the perfect husband, right? No. More importantly, be. Be the right person. Are you the right person? Are you the right man? Are you the godly young man? Are you the godly young woman? Are you ready for marriage? That's the question you should ask yourself. What is more important than finding the right person to marry is being the right person both before and after the wedding. <laughs> it's very easy to put on a front before the wedding, right? To be nice, to open car doors, you know, to be chivalrous, you know, to pay for lunch, dinner, yeah. It's not easy to be a nice man after marriage or to be a nice woman or wife after marriage. When you live with each other, you rub each other the wrong way, you speak harsh words to each other, hurtful words to each other, you hurt me, I hurt you back. It's not easy to continue to be 
a godly person. But if we each take effort to commit to improving ourselves, our marriage will also improve. All right? And so to the unmarried, I can start by learning to be loving, kind, helpful at home to our parents and siblings. So young people, start doing chores at home. Okay? That would be a great preparation for marriage. Start washing the toilets. Start helping your daddy and mommy to do, to prepare food. Right? To prepare the table for dinner and lunch. Do things at home. Keep your room tidy. Right? Because being messy is also one of the problems in marriage. There are couples who divorced because the husband was so messy. The wife couldn't stand it. Right? She put up with the husband's messiness for 15 years and said, I've got enough. I've got enough. Yeah? Even though they are Christians, I've got enough of this messy husband. I don't want to have anything to do with this person anymore. So, young men, start by keeping your room clean, neat and tidy. Right? But women, you don't have to be so OCD either. Right? You don't have to have this compulsive disorder of, oh, everything must be very neat. My uh, toilet roll must be done this way, front and not back. You know? uh, the toothpaste must be, paste, must be squeezed this way and not the other way. Right? Everything must be in the right proper place. Otherwise, I'm going to skin you alive. Right? No, you don't have to be like that. You can accept your husband for, he, for who he is. In Christ, all things are possible. Right, let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word is truth. Forgive us for many times we have failed you. Many times we have not been the godly man or woman that you have called us to be. Lord, change us. Lord, we know that only Christ can change us. Only you can change us day by day to be more and more like Jesus. Change us into the image of Christ that we may be the godly husband and the godly wife that you want us to be that we may be the godly son or daughter that you want us to be, that we may be the godly grandfather or grandmother that you want us to be. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.